This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and welcome to Matt's Plained Today. Okay, uh, right. In the great... AI lottery. Whose livelihoods are, are going to disappear and whose are likely to remain? And does this mean we're all destined to be goats in the machine? Okay, I'm going to stop you there, Richard, mostly because I've just forced you to uh, repeat one of my uh, favorite and uh, pretty much lamest puns about goats. It was um, awful. Thank you. Um, now, a few things have changed since I've been away. Obviously, I haven't done a, a show for a couple of weeks. And I just want to tell everyone that I've finally taken Elon Musk's message on board. Uh, I've changed my name. From now on, uh, I'm going to be known as uh, Mew Brackets, formerly Matt. Mew? Like the cat Mew? No, like the Greek symbol, you know, the, the squiggly U with the crooked Z trailing oh, underneath okay. it. Yeah, um, yeah. Does it happen to sound like the first and last letters of my full name, Matthew, of course? Uh, <laughs> is it also the sound that a cat makes? That's just a bonus to me. Uh, and in physics, the term mu relates to both magnetic permeability and friction. So can you imagine a symbol that is more suited to me uh, and of all people you're give, uh, giving elon musk the credit for this yeah i mean changing uh, a recognized name is just another demonstration of his genius you know as i said i'm on board with him now i've seen the error of my ways uh you know i don't think i should ever have questioned him what he does it, it's not chaos it's hierarchical mayhem it's ordered anarchy if you prefer, uh, prefer. And uh, yeah, uh, I've even been trolling you on X from uh, an anonymous account for weeks now because <laughs> I've seen the light and the light is really dark. <laughs> the thing is, Mew, and I am a bit speechless, you, you could be one of his ch uh, children with a name like Mew though, you know, <laughs> but anyway. That's an even more frightening uh, possibility. <laughs> anyway, um... Uh, there weren't any sheep in the, the field while I was away, so uh, I think I've probably gone off the uh, the rails without my uh, flock to, to tend to. Uh, that's kind of what happens when I don't do a show for a couple of weeks. Um, genuinely, I think if I was a couple of decades younger, I would commit, uh, commit to the whole Mew thing. Uh, but as it is, I don't think I can get away with it because I think it comes across as being creepy rather than cute. Or cool, um, but that's kind of what we're talking a bit uh, about today. Not so much the creepy bit, you know. These shows mm -hmm. often have the creepy element anyway. But the idea of change, reinventing yourself, you know, even if you don't want to. So hang on. Um, so calling yourself Mew is your way of staying relevant. Some well, people our age buy a Porsche, Matt, or something, you know. Yeah, been there, done that. Not a Porsche, it was a Peugeot, but, you know. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's true, but in a sense, you know, we, we're kind of 
We're back to artificial intelligence, as you said at the start. We're back to AI and jobs mm. this week. And we've done a few shows on this in the past. Mm. Uh, but understandably, with the explosion of AI over the past few months, people are very worried about what's going to happen to their jobs. So it used to be that if people asked me anything to do with the shows, it was usually about sex robots. Uh, I, I don't course. know. Yeah, I don't know if that says more about the uh, kind of people that listen to the show or more about the kind of people that I hang out with. Um, but now it tends to be questions about AI, particularly mm -hmm. about the threat that it poses to people's jobs. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, the, the kind of corollary to that is uh, about their kids. You know, what should their kids go on to study at university? Is it still worth training to be a lawyer, an accountant, an architect, or a doctor? Um, and I'm guessing so you go out and tell them that AI will make all of those careers obsolete and that their kids have no future. Well, obviously, it depends on how much I like them, but um, yeah, no. If you <laughs> if if somebody's asking me about you know what kind of future their three year old is going to have, then obviously, I can't help them. We're too far away from that. There's too yeah. much evolution. There's too much change happening, and honestly, you know, why worry about that now? Just enjoy the kid, enjoy their childhood. Mm -hmm. uh, but I kind of understand the pain for parents whose kids are, you know, they've just started university or they're about to start university because mm -hmm. they're thinking about doing a specialization for jobs that may disappear. But having said that, you know, people have been saying similar things about humanities degrees forever. Uh, yeah. You know, there's no point doing English. There's no point doing history. There's no point doing, you know, whatever. But if I had my time over... I'd go back and I'd do history and not economics. History mm. is a lot more useful for, for this job because if you want to understand the future, you need to understand the past. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you know, there's still plenty of mileage left in all the, the STEM subjects, you know, the science and technology. But, of course, not everyone is programmed that way. Um, and while I think all of us should know at least some basics of coding. He said, knowing full well that he doesn't know how to do any. <laughs> um, not everyone can go on to be a coder. So I get yeah. the uncertainty that, that people have, that people who are going into university have, that their parents have. Um, but I think when we look at, at, at work in general, certainly in the short term, I think most people are probably safe. All right. Um, I've had a lot of conversations this week, and I, I want to know, what are you basing that opinion on then? Well, AI can do some great things. It is evolving, but it's still largely dumb. So it's mm. really in that assistive stage. Mm. Uh, the best combination in most instances is a human being being assisted by artificial intelligence. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that some people aren't going to lose their, their jobs. I mean, if we look at the SAS, not the SAS, SAS sector, two A's, um, let's have a look at something, you know, like customer service, uh, interaction solutions. Now, these often combine automation with human intervention. Mm -hmm. Now, the bots will take the initial queries uh, but AI comes in, it can create that kind of richer and more complex conversation. It can even offer 
customized recommendations based on uh, your user history, your user profile, and also, you know, shaping from insights on on the information that you're giving it. Mm. And those conversations can then be passed on to a human operator if the conversation gets into areas that the machine can't handle. So when you look at uh, use cases like this, you can see where uh, AI-assisted process automa uh, automation can save companies 10 or 20% or even higher in those kind of customer service areas. Mm -hmm. And typically, those savings will be in manpower because there are, uh, you know, obviously you can do more with uh, a smaller headcount. And of course, there are the infrastructure savings as well. Uh, Cloud-based apps with the AI maintained by uh, third parties or more likely actually rented from those third parties. Right. And it does go beyond that, though. Some companies want to scale up their capacity without spending any more money. So it, it can be about giving customers better service without increasing uh, any kind of headcount. Yeah. So it doesn't always have to mean reducing your headcount. So um, that's where we see this AI mostly in the assistive phase, uh, rather than being fully autonomous or, or standalone for the most part. And there's, you know, a number of reasons for that. Um, as we've already said, the technology still isn't good enough. Uh, I've spent the last few days trying to get mid-journey to create one of those uh, uh, LinkedIn-style business profile picks for me. And uh, even though I gave it one of the very few recent photos of me to work from, what it comes up with isn't really me. Um, mostly, I either look like uh, a club bouncer from the 1990s, uh, or I look like uh, Tom from Succession. Um, it does seem intent on giving me hair for some reason. Um, and to be honest, uh, the ones I like the most um, are the ones of me as a cyborg. Um, but those range from cute to absolutely terrifying. Um, but, you know, that would be me living my best life. If only I'd been a Borg baby. Mate, there are no Borg babies. You should know that. I'd have been the first. I'd have been the end of one species and the start of another. And yeah, that's of kind right, of yeah. where we are with AI and work. So as I said, in most instances, AI simply isn't good enough to replace people outright. It does a lot of mm. things very well, but when it's wrong, it can be very wrong, which brings us to another key point, which is law. So mm. companies are still very wary of integrating AI too widely because the law around these tools is fuzzy at best. Uh, we cited this example on the show a few weeks ago, uh, the US federal court that upheld a motion that work created by an AI can't be copyrighted. It's not considered a creation because there's no human hand involved. Mm. And the you know, that actually has uh, very far-reaching uh, consequences. And that's uh, part of the suit that was brought uh, by a movie-related company? Uh, yeah, so a lot of people just assumed that this case relates to a narrow part of the creative industries, uh, things like AI-created scripts or potentially movie or TV show ideas. Now, We've also seen there are plenty of things. There are, you know, AI created NFTs out there. Uh, 
Ida, I think the AI artist, has sold hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not millions of pounds worth of you know, AI-generated pieces. So the originals obviously still have their intrinsic value, but if they have no copyright protection, anyone can take and use those pieces of work as they please. They can make their own copies, they can sell them, they can feature them in advertising or, or whatever. Uh, if mm. we move away from art into more straightforward commercial creative territories, if you're using AI tools to create them, will your marketing materials, your promos, even logos be considered intellectual property? Or could they even be registered as intellectual property? Would they just be considered, you know, uh, public domain? Um, mm. Then we look at things like engineering or architecture. If AI is used to create schematics, plans, or buildings, who owns those plans? Imagine uh, a, an AI creating the most powerful and efficient process of the world has ever seen. Something that would cement, you know, a company like Intel or AMD's position as a technology leader for, say, the next generation. If that circuit board had no IP protection, then it would be open season for every chip maker out there. And mm -hmm. you see these same examples being repeated across multiple industries. Uh, we know, for example, AI helped to develop the uh, COVID vaccines at such a rapid rate by eliminating uh, a lot of the um, cul-de-sacs, the research cul-de-sacs mm. that human researchers might have gone down. Now, if those systems had been autonomous, if it hadn't been a collaborative process between the machine learning systems and the human researchers, would anyone, would any particular company actually own those drugs? But, you know, there is an argument that some types of IP should be publicly rather than privately owned. And I agree, but, you know, that's not really the point we're discussing today. So I don't want to, you know, stand on my soapbox Currently, we have a, a system that rewards companies for the products they create and deliver. Um, now, however you feel about that, whether you think it's right or wrong, that hinges on this idea of owning intellectual property. And mm. that's one of the areas that we're seeing the gap with AI. We have these tools that have all this potential. They have this capacity to make these things that could be copyrighted. Um, or could be copyright, but adopting them isn't really high on the list of priorities for a lot of CIOs and CTOs and CEOs because there's too much risk. There's right. no proper regulatory framework. Uh, there's piecemeal emerging case law, uh, which ironically is why most people's jobs are probably safe from AI for the time being. I, it's taken me a while, but I've circled back around. Um, this lack of regulatory framework is one of the things that's actually protecting jobs because in many use cases, AI is too inefficient in a legal sense. Its implementation may save a company money in the short term, but until we figure out all those gray areas in the law, you know, who owns what the AI does, who's liable for the actions. And of course, uh, what we haven't mentioned to now, where is the information in the, those AIs coming from? You know, who actually yeah. owned the information that went into them in the first place? Until we resolve those issues, companies are going to be forced to keep artificial intelligence at arm's length. They're going to use it to, to drive efficiency alongside 
human teams rather than looking at this point to outright replace them. Okay. Um, I, I guess that would be a fairly upbeat place to leave things if we were at the end of the show. But we're only halfway in, uh, and the outlook for part two um, sounds a bit cloudy. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages here on Matt Splain on BFM 89.9. Free Malaysia, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt Splained. I'm Richard Bradbury. Before the break, uh, we avoided talking about specific professions in the first half. Um, so we, sh- we really should look at some of those professions that I guess this technology is starting to put at risk. Yeah, well, we should. But um, also we should take a quick look at, you know, what work is. We should uh, acknowledge that there's a difference between tasks and actions. So you should, you know, ask yourself, does your day mostly consist of tasks or does it mostly consist of actions? Are mm. you processing or making decisions? So if your job is more task-based, if you're doing more things that are processing related, well, we'll get to that in a minute. But if you're more sort of decision-based, action-based, then generative AI is likely to be there more to assist you rather than to replace you. Uh, mm. We can give some examples that, for example, somebody who's involved in uh, deal making, it doesn't have to be sales related. It could be mergers, acquisitions. Uh, it could be uh, problem solving. You know, are you somebody who's tucked away in a back room or do you face clients? Uh, mm. And most importantly, we need to look at the people who actually do stuff like <laughs> with their hands. All of those are really good hedges against the encroachment of AI uh, into their work. And I can feel and, and, and indeed smell the positivity of, of that message bleeding out right now. Well, no, I don't want it to sound like that. I mean, it isn't necessarily like that. So if you look around at the moment, sort of globally, we're at this stage where workers are once again realizing that they have power, that they have agency. Uh, Mm. Look at the surge in um, strike action around the world. Now, it's very easy to view that as a negative. And of course, it is in a sense, because uh, when transport workers strike, it stops you from getting from A to B. So there was a a train strike on uh, the day that I arrived in the UK a few weeks ago. And of course, after getting off a 14 hour flight, the last thing I wanted to do was think about how I'm going to negotiate the trains. So of course, that was irritating to me. Uh, the same when health workers strike, you know, it can restrict access to, to healthcare. Uh, even the, the current Hollywood writers strike, that's led to a lot of my favorite shows, uh, mm. you know, being stopped for the time being. Um, mm. And even things like the, the pandemic didn't keep a lot of those shows off the air for as long as the strike has. As much as these things might irritate us individually, 
it shows that workforces are reclaiming their power and it's reversing this decades of trends that have seen power being concentrated in the hands of employers. Uh, mm. We're seeing you know, new movements. We're, we're finally starting to see legislation that protects gig workers, uh, that mm -hmm. gives them the protections that employed workers have long enjoyed, things like minimum hourly wages, healthcare, sick pay, holiday pay. And even as we delve into these areas of who and what can be replaced, I think we're starting to observe a, a sea change in organizational thinking. Uh, because one of the things that's been very normal over the past couple of decades has been to evaluate work in terms of units of output. To, to, see, to, you, uh, to see staff as machines. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's probably a, a better way to, to phrase it. Obviously, I phrase it more like a machine. But anyway, um, mm. efficiency experts have done exactly that. They have tended to regard people as machines. Haven't you been a, an efficiency expert, quote unquote? Um, yes, I've done a lot of internal transformation stuff for clients, but I wouldn't say that I'm uh, an expert. Um, and, you know, despite my reputation, uh, I don't look <laughs> at people as machines because I think that massively undervalues their contribution to the companies they work for. Mm. Uh, you know, in terms of industrial processes, can a machine press more rivets into a side of steel more quickly and accurately than a person? Sure, you can make an argument there, but a lot of jobs require more than skilled repetition. So you look for yeah. areas you can automate, which allow you to put your staff to better use. And I mm -hmm. think we're starting to see you know, that, that change in thinking on a more widespread basis. Uh, I think we've mentioned mm. this, this example before. So decades of uh, efficiency expert involvement uh, and influence have made most companies pretty lean and efficient already. There aren't any exponential gains to be made. There are just, you know, percentage points um, and fraction yeah. of percentage point gains. Uh, most staff complain of being overworked. And this is where AI can come in. Some of a, a company's best people may be mired, you know, in drudgery, report compiling, repetitive tasks, you know, real soul crushing nonsense. And mm. some of these process automation tools can actually help to free them from this processing and do the thing that they actually excel at, which is to think. Is this, you know, at the crux about adaptability? Absolutely. Again, you know, something we've said on the show before, people are much mm. more flexible and adaptable than machines. Your worst employee, your worst employee has more ingenuity than your best bot, at least mm. for the time being. Uh, we used the customer service example earlier, um, that idea of having this seamless blend of machine and human interactions. So where does this leave us then in terms of actual occupations at risk? Well, there have been various surveys published this year. They don't all agree. Uh, for consistency, I'm going to quote mainly from a, a Pew Research study called Which US Workers Are More Exposed to AI on Their Jobs? That came out in July of this year. Um, 
Now, when I say that uh, they don't all agree, so most of the studies or commentary I've seen say that CEOs are safe from the approach of AI, obviously, because why wouldn't they be? They are the ultimate decision makers, so they're not going to recommend a machine that has uh, no monetary requirements to do their job instead. But yeah. when uh, but when Pew broke down the roles and responsibilities of the chief exec, they came up with an aggregate score that actually puts the CEO role at medium risk of being replaced by a machine. It's not going to happen, though, is it? Well, no. I mean, the, the point of studies like this is really to identify roles that could be replaced as much as will be replaced. So it's mm. could rather than will. And as we've discussed on the show, I've long been of the opinion that a number of C-suite positions are vulnerable to, to AI. Uh, you have to kind of follow my slightly broken logic here. But um, if we look at market traders, those are one of the occupations that come up in the um, articles and studies mentioning vulnerability to, to AI. And I mean, uh, people who trade in shares, not the guy who stands on a, a stall uh, selling you fruit and veg, not that kind of market trader. Um, Pound a bag. Exactly. Um, but it, it kind of makes sense to replace that profession with machines because mm. Machines have a wider view of market trends and movements than any human trader can, and they act uh, with a speed that most humans can't. And a lot of trades are already automated. So if you take that a step further, if you imagine fully automated markets, and then the next leap, at least for my brain, would be, you know, uh, looking at the structure of companies. Would a hedge fund mm. controlled by machines want to put machines on the boards of companies that it has large stakes in? You know, you can imagine an Autobot board of directors. Uh, yes, mm. you know, we probably have laws saying that directors should be human or at the very least inhuman. But <laughs> what would an automated board controlling a company want? Probably they would look for having a machine that they could converse with uh, in their own native language and at their speed, mm. uh, which would be the machine CEO. And that's when you see it becoming, you know, quite an asset. Okay, now I'll, I'll bite then. What other professions do you think are in this medium risk category? Well, the thing is, uh, a lot of them are surprising until you stop to think about them. So things like interpreters and, and translators. We already use right. machines, Google Translate, for a, a lot of the work that they do. We really need them for, for context, especially in live mm -hmm. translation work where, you know, the wrong context could, you know, lead to nuclear war. Uh, things like uh, marketing managers. Uh, machines are becoming more adept at planning campaigns and monitoring marketing results. Increasingly, marketing spend is dedicated towards automated systems uh, like Facebook and Google ads already. Uh, the creatives designing those campaigns are at an even greater risk. Uh, yeah. So I think it was just this week or last week, ChatGPT has announced a plug-in partnership with uh, Canva, the easy-to-use cloud design tool uh, that's already replaced the work of a lot of smaller design agencies. Um, so, you know, that, that relationship is likely to deepen uh, till we get to a point where you can type 
a command into your AI of choice, and it will spit out completed design examples for you. I mean, as I mentioned, things like MidJourney, they're not quite there yet. As I said, uh, it makes me look like a, a thug or, or Tom from Succession. Um, but we are getting to the point where it could actually do that client campaign work um, within a few iterations. I, I was playing, funnily enough, with a tool that Google had spat out very recently. I can't draw at all. My drawing is terrible. And I, especially when I try to draw with a mouse, and I attempted to draw a car with my mouse, I managed to get the kind of very basic outline and then came around and drew the, the wheel wells and immediately went, did you mean this? And it gave me a whole bunch of different cars. It's not quite doing an entire, um, you know, campaign, but the fact that it knew what I was trying to get to with my very, very basic, oh, it was scarily good. But that's that's the thing. You know, we're, we're getting into this area where the people that have been typically highly paid to do that job mm. can simply be replaced, as you said, by drawing a sketch on your mouse pad with, with a mm. mouse. And mm. copy is... is going the same way. So all of these people, graphic designers, copywriters, writers, and editors, they're all within this high-risk category. But if we go back to, to what we were saying about medium risk, uh, it also includes various types of uh, engineers and researchers. And this one I wasn't expecting, fashion designers. Um, but again, it's one of those things, when you think about it, it makes sense. It's yeah. a bit like architecture, which we'll get to in a bit, you know, uh, AI can potentially do more with body shapes and materials in the structural sense than a human designer is likely to be able to, because mm -hmm. the machine is only interested in the physical capabilities. It's interested in the, the, the physical properties of the body and the physical properties of the material. So you'll mm. still need a, a human for the aesthetic and artistic component, but AI is already designing virtual clothing designs, uh, you know, for avatars and whatever, that are unlike anything that we've ever seen before. I mean, we, we've had these discussions about art and creation, but do you really see and do you think that AI is, is pushing these creative boundaries? Yes, but, you know, there's this line about um, what is creativity and what is kind of ideation. So right. the machines are pushing the boundaries of what's possible. They're helping to remove limitations. So although the machines themselves aren't creative, they're increasing the scope of what it's possible to create. And again, right. this is another overlap with architecture. It's definitely going to push artists, not least because anyone with an idea can get a machine to approximate that vision, exactly what you did trying to draw a car on the, the mouse pad. So our yeah. expectations of what can be created aesthetically, functionally, and imaginatively are also expanding with those capabilities. And that mm. can only, well, I mean, it will effectively force artists to, to push even further. Okay. So off the top of my head, we have artists, CEOs, uh, traders that are in the medium risk group. What about the more, um, the more at risk professions, the, the red people, you know, 
Yeah, well, we mentioned, um, you know, the the creative class that uh, I belong to and uh, is about to make me bankrupt. Um, mm. But uh, a lot of um, finance positions also seem to be in that category. You know, as I said earlier, anything that's very process oriented. So those entry level mm. accounting and bookkeeping or, you know, admin finance jobs, that's definitely an area that AI is encroaching on. And it's similar when we look at the legal profession, you know, all those entry-level clerking and paralegal positions are under threat, you know, filling out forms, checking boxes, making sure that all the right documents are included. Um, But beyond Mm. that, also the research component, ensuring that you've, you know, ticked the list of all the local regulations and bylaws. AI can help to make sure that these things aren't overlooked. They can also check all of the, the the latest precedents, as well as looking back at that wealth of historical data. Yeah, it, it's a bit like an analogy you've used before about the limit to the number of diseases a doctor can actually recall. Precisely. You know, case law is so um, complex and enormous. So sure, you may be working on the same types of cases and law within your field of speciality, but a tool that has access to every law and statute with instant recall is, of course, going to be a a massive help. So this is an example, or or this is more assistive rather than disruptive? Well, it's kind of both because that assistance the AI can give to a lawyer is something that's currently done by juniors and paralegals. So they're already being assisted. It's just changing who or what is doing the assistance. Uh, Mm. Again, it it potentially reduces the headcount and it also increases the speed. And hopefully as well, it can bring down the cost of legal work because you have a single cloud-based solution that's doing the work of two or three or four researchers in a fraction of the time. So the the number of billable hours to a client hopefully would, you know, reduce quite significantly. Right. Uh, other professions in this risk group uh, include uh, computer hardware engineers, uh, people in IT support. Again, if everything's off in a cloud, uh, you don't need uh, uh, Bob from the basement to, to pop up to your desk. Uh, coders uh, and programmers kind of float between medium and high risk because AI can automate uh, some of what they do, certainly the, the drudge and the repetitive code that has to be uh, produced, uh, free, you know, freeing their time to solve problems. Uh, then we've got people like data entry clerks, industrial designers, uh, medical transcriptionists, uh, and lab staff, lab researchers. You know, these are all things where uh, a lot of what they do uh, can be crunched where they're not Mm. really customer facing. And, Mm. you know, as we've talked about this before, as we mentioned earlier, these are often entry level positions as Mm -hmm. companies hollow out, uh, you know, it's going to become a lot more difficult to become a something, you know, you can do a law degree, but will you be a lawyer? You Mm. can do an accounting degree, but will you ever be an accountant? Um, you know, the same with, biology, the sciences, or whatever, because those entry-level jobs uh, that are drudge-based are likely to disappear. So that's really Mm. the thing that I'm watching out for. I want to see how companies actually change their structures so that people can still be offered a career 
and not just a job. And I want to mm. see how the internal mechanisms evolve to actually train the decision makers and senior staff of the future if there are fewer of those entry-level positioned. Uh, you know, mm. we've we've mentioned before that remote and hybrid working has made it difficult for recent graduates to actually gain experience of a physical workplace. Uh, you know, yeah. they they miss out on that social conditioning aspect of how to to operate in a in a working environment. Oh, I, if I may, I, I want to come back to architecture. Um, why is it that AI is in such uh, as such a threat to, to that profession? Well, partly because um, certainly from the client perspective, architecture is very image-based. So when you go for a pitch, the client doesn't immediately want to see your electrical wiring duct solutions. They want to see <laughs> an enormous imposing building that says, you know, we are world domination enterprises and all you other buildings are, are puny. Uh, right. AI makes that ideation part very easy. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I read that Zaha Hadid's old practice uses Midjourney for its early client meetings. Uh, you know, they just generate, they take the prompts from the client and they put them into the machine and they take those as early early ideas to the client. I mean, they're not, they're not disguising them as anything else. They're saying, you know, these are AI images. This is our starting point. Where do we go from here? Mm. Um Advances in, you know, specialized architectural AI systems are making it possible to move from a, a, T, a 2D image to a 3D render with ease at a click of a button. Uh, and these machines make sure that everything works and fits. All of those ducts, the cabling, the plumbing, uh, the lift placement, everything is optimized. And again, looking at that design component, the machines do things with the materials based on physics, based on their mm. physical properties. And that's why we're seeing, uh, you know, if you look at things that people have generated on services like Midjourney, if you're looking at uh, some of the projects that have been uh, coming up, the sort of announced architectural projects, uh, we're coming up with these very kind of alien looking shapes that aren't creative as much as they are geometrically possible. Um, and, you know, this is where our whole discussion could veer off on one of those uh, <laughs> tangents of our universe is really a computer simulation because, you know, there, there, there are just too many strange parallels uh, mm -hmm. in in that, you know, geometrical repetition. But at a, a more basic level, um, the machines can also make sure that the building complies with all the local and national regulations. Um, and, you know, I'm not negging on architects. I, I love architecture. Um, but one of the tools that I was uh, checking out, so uh, you can go and check out, it's a tool called LookX. Uh, it's at uh, lookx.ai. Now, this is actually the uh, English language version that's just been launched of a Chinese architectural AI tool called XLook. Uh, and it was founded by uh, architects who were formerly at the star architect Rem Koolhaas's design studio. And the name of the company is actually a reference to him. Look is 
cool backwards k-o-o-l uh-huh, so course, they've yeah. referenced him in the, in the name uh, and these tools uh, allow you to create architecture plans from a text prompt you know you can put in your text prompt for a building and get an architectural plan and you can tweak the designs at every point till you've got what you want now at the moment it's still uh, a little bit basic and the entire profession of architecture isn't going to disappear overnight just because somebody's, you know, put up an AI tool on a website. But it is enough to give someone pause to think about starting a seven-year architecture degree course at this moment. All right, then. Um, I suppose before we wrap off, um, is anybody safe? Uh, from AI, well, I mean, the jobs that are largely immune to technology are the ones that are safe. So things like construction jobs are pretty safe. Plumbers, pipe layers, electricians, uh, hairdressers, skincare specialists, uh, a lot of medical professions, including uh, orderlies and aides, uh, firefighters, maids, cleaners, janitors, although obviously we have seen some inroads with uh, uh, these kind mm-hmm. of UV casting robots and that kind of thing. Uh, Childcare workers, I don't think anyone's going to trust their child to uh, an AI. I mean, they don't trust their children to me, so uh, they're not going to give it to a proper machine. Um, uh, Probably (laughs) baristas, although that one I'm just guessing at. Um, Textile and garment workers, and for now, rideshare drivers. You know, it's all the people who do actual stuff. Now, none of this is to say that those industries are not going to be disrupted. Um, That means we've used that horrible word twice in one episode. Um, But services like uh, Uber have made it easier to get a taxi, but obviously in the process, they've driven down wages of taxi drivers overall because you don't need to be an expert in the geography of the place you live in uh, because anyone can get in a car and follow a sat nav. So that specialized yeah. knowledge of the streets of towns and cities that taxi drivers had has been devalued and that pushes wages down in turn, even though as an economic sector, it's actually expanding. So going all the way back round to your baby's future, well, AI is accelerating in both ability and usage. And essentially, until that acceleration stops, until we reach some kind of plateau, nobody, you know, not least me, can tell you what your child's future will be. So my advice is just to, you know, quit worrying, enjoy the time that you have with them, because the future is always going to happen, whether we want it to or not. Oh, thank you very much for that, uh, Matt. Uh, uh, bright and, and rosy as, as ever. Well, it wasn't the worst ending that we've had on the show. <laughs> it was a good one. Uh, of course, um, if you missed any part of the show, go and download the podcast wherever you normally get it from. Um, it's available on our website and via, via our app. You know where to get it from, of course. You can also subscribe to Matt's Substack newsletter. That's at culturepop.substack.com and follow him on all of the socials, whether or not it's X, LinkedIn, or just the website. You know where to find him. We'll be back same time, same place next week here on Matt Splained on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.